0: Let's talk about eyes, all right? According to Versant Health, the only organ more complex than the eye is the brain. Your iris, this is the colored part of your eye, has 256 unique characteristics. Your fingerprint only has 40. Your eyes can distinguish approximately 10 million different colors. The average person blinks 12 times a minute. Some of you know this, you've tried. It's impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. All the kids are going to go home and try that today. Amatophobia is the fear of eyes. Some of the kids have that too with mom and dad, this look, right? Only one-sixth of your eyeball is visible. This one is awesome. The shark cornea is nearly identical to the human cornea. It's even been used in human eye surgery. So imagine being the guy walking around with a shark eye, right? That's pretty cool. Your eye is the fastest contracting muscle in the body, contracting in less than 1/100th of a second. 80% of all learning comes through the eyes. That's probably why we use a TV up here a lot. You see, let me end on the secret there. And listen to this one: Your eyes focus on 50 different objects every second. So, what would it take for us to just focus on one object? At a time. And what does it mean to actually look at something? The Lord has gifted us with an incredible ability to see. And if you don't have good vision, you spend lots of money on contacts or glasses or surgery to make it better. In 2020, the global eyewear market was valued at $140 billion a year. And those that are born blind or become blind, to me, are just some of the most incredible people. To overcome the obstacle of not being able to see. Clearly, there is great value in what we choose to look at. And as we'll see today, see what I did there? As we'll see today, the Lord is going to use the idea of looking to show us the gospel. So, the title of today's sermon is Look and Live. If you have your Bibles, and we always encourage you to bring one, it'll be on the screen if you don't, but turn to Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, and then as you do that, would you stand as we read God's Word? So this is Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke out against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Lord, we pray that you would um, bless this sermon, bless... uh, the people in the room, that they would have ears to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll have a seat. Okay, so kind of a weird passage, right? Let's break it down verse by verse. So starting in verse four, it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. Some context- On where we are in scripture, Israel has been set free from slavery in Egypt, but they have not made it to the promised land. So this is post-Egypt, pre-Canaan, pre-promised land, okay? They're in between. They've been given the Ten Commandments, they've been given the instructions on the tabernacle, and remember there's a cloud of smoke uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night, the Spirit of God telling them where to go, and that's where they would set the tabernacle, and travel. So this time for Israel would have taken great trust in the Lord and his promises. They're wandering in the wilderness. This would have been a long, arduous journey, right? I, I think about myself even getting here sometimes on Nolansville Road. It it should be a 10-minute drive and it ends up being like 15-17 minutes because of Nolansville Road traffic. Anybody get frustrated with that? Is that just me? So all of the curses that try to come through my mind in that moment, I can only imagine what the people are feeling in this moment, right? Verse 5, then the people spoke against God and Moses, why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. So here comes the questioning. They're asking, did God save us from Egypt and slavery just to have us wander around in the wilderness? Doesn't seem like a good plan, God. And it shows their lack of faith. And this wretched food that they're speaking of, this is manna, right, bread from heaven. If you remember, God would provide them food, everything they needed for the day, and they would eat it. And manna literally means, what is it? That's what it was called. So manna, the Hebrew word is, what is this food? It's probably some sort of bread or kind of something like that. And all of you gluten-free people, I'm not sure if they had gluten-free options. Not sure. But we don't know exactly what it was. But it's, it's enough to eat it for the day. And the Lord is providing everything they need, yet they find it worthless. They cursed the Lord's blessing. It's dishonoring to him. It's, it's ungrateful. And it's sin, right? Verse 6. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so that many Israelites died. We don't often talk about the Lord doing that sort of thing, do we? But he did and he's 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 a just God and he's holy and he's set apart and Kids, uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen a snake like in the woods or something walking around. Keep keep your hand raised. Some of y'all aren't kids, but you're oh whatever. Keep your hand raised. If you want to, like, be bit by that snake. No? Anyone? Of course not. Right? In fact, the poisonous snakes here are likely emblematic of the venom coming out of the people's mouths. Right? The same way that the, they, they spoke curses and kind of a poisonous curse against the Lord. The Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you your, what you due is poisonous snakes biting you. Verse 7. The people then came to Moses, knowing that they've sinned, and they said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. And the word recover here in the Hebrew literally means to live or to save life. And so some of your translations, uh, like I know the ESV says, anyone who looks at the snake will live, right? Look and live. So we know the Lord here, as we've talked about, uses the physical act of looking to show and reveal the spiritual act of trusting. Right. I'll say that again. The Lord uses the physical act of looking here to show the, the spiritual act of trusting or faith or belief. So for those of you who are more visual, here's a, an artist's rendering of this scene, okay? So we've got people, and, and you see the snakes here that are crawling around and biting them, and they're, some of them are dying. But look at these guys. They're looking up at this bronze Snake that, that Moses would have held up in the air. And those that, that looked, took their eyes from, from the poisonous snakes up to this one bronze snake would have recovered from their injuries and, and lived. So this may seem like a random Old Testament story. It's super strange and out of the ordinary. And it, it's totally different than anything that you and I experience in our day-to-day life, I think. I'm not sure if any of you guys have had poisonous snakes following you around the last week. But what does it mean? What are we supposed to gather from this text? Oftentimes, we can look at the Old Testament and think, this is really strange, and I don't understand it, and it must not be, like, where does this fit into my life, right? Here's a quote from a, a pastor named Brian Chappell, and he says, it's important to remember that the Old Testament is an Eastern book more than it is a Western book. It's not just dealing linear, going A, B, C, D. Rather, who Christ uh, Christ is, what he must do, is being defined by what he is not in the Old Testament. Think about it. The way an Eastern thinker sometimes represents truth is not by saying this thought leads to that thought leads to that thought, but rather speaking around the truth so that you get the truth. It's super important to understand what kind of literature we're reading in Numbers. And in order to get more insight into what this passage means for you and me today, Jesus actually helps us with this in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 3. Jesus here in this chapter is speaking to the Pharisee Nicodemus, right? This probably would have been a secret meeting between the two of them. Nicodemus is trying to figure out what this Jesus guy is all about and Jesus is starting to make a stir in his ministry. And if you remember the story, this is where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God and Nicodemus says, how can, I, how can one be born again? How is that possible? He thinks he's being literal, right? So we're gonna pick up in John 3, uh, verse 14 and 15 and it says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We'll go back to verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So you see the connection between John Uh, chapter three, what Jesus is is telling Nicodemus, and, and the story we just read in Numbers 21. This is the story he's referencing, the bronze snake lifted up in the wilderness. The phrase lifted up here in the Greek literally means to raise on high, to lift up, which is what it's translated as lift up, or even to exalt, right? That's the other way it's used, exalting something. So, if there's a connection between Numbers 21 and John 3, how is Jesus then lifted up? What is Jesus referring to when he says, I must be lifted up? Well, the ultimate way that Jesus is lifted up is on the cross. It's the ultimate meaning behind lifted up in this verse. The cross is where the love of God and the justice of God meet. Remember, God, God is just, as we see from, from him punishing the Israelites for talking out against him. And a good judge would not let a convicted criminal go free. So, you and I in the story are Israel, and we're convicted criminals, and we, we have sinned against God, and He can't let our sin go unpunished because He is just. If a, if a judge did that in our court system, we would say that's not a good judge. But He loves us, right? He doesn't want us to be punished. So what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus, to take the wrath and punishment we deserve. And in turn, when we look at him, when we have faith in him, we take his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Wade says all the time, that's, that's called the great exchange, right? We, he takes our sin, we take his righteousness. Let's go back to another artist rendering for you visual people. This is a, an artist around 1900, painted this picture. We don't know exactly what it would have looked like, but what do you notice about a snake on a pole lifted up in the air? What does it look like to you? A cross, Right? It looks very much like Jesus on a cross. And so here we see, literally see, Numbers 21 start to make sense. The snake in Numbers 21 is actually what we would call a type of Christ, or maybe in this instance, it's a foreshadowing of Christ or just a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jesus is lifted up on the cross, but subsequently... We know that he's not dead, he's alive. He was lifted up again in the resurrection, right? He he literally is lifted up to life and then ascends into heaven. Romans 4, uh, 25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. But the resurrection is proof that it is finished. Adrian Warnock says, says it this way. The resurrection of Jesus has evidencing power. Jesus is declared to still be righteous by his resurrection, just as he was declared to become sin by his death. It's proof that God's wrath has been satisfied. So the resurrection is proof that God has no more wrath for you if you're in Christ, that the the cross was enough, it is finished. And that's really good news for us. So Jesus is lifted up on the cross and in resurrection, but also... Take it even further, he's lifted up in glory. He's lifted up as supreme, and needs to be lifted up as supreme uh, in your life and in my life. Many people say, like, make Jesus the Lord of your life. and I understand that, but it doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Yeah. Did you know that? Like, believer, not believer, Christian, not Christian, Jesus is the Lord of everything. He's already the Lord of your life. You should see him that way and recognize him as as the Lord of your life, but you don't have to make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Colossians 1 says it this way, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent or first or have first place or be supreme. So Moses, again, lifting up the bronze snake, is him saying, look at God's chosen instrument of your salvation. Look at this snake alone. It's the only thing that can save you in this moment. And Jesus in his glory on the cross and the resurrection and in glory, him being lifted up as the only one who can save you from your sin. So we've seen the connection of Numbers 21 and John 3. So what? What are are some takeaways for us? Well, I think there's two major takeaways for us today. The first is look to Jesus for salvation. Look to Jesus for salvation. Have you truly turned your gaze away from your sin and looked to Jesus? Away from the snakes biting your ankles and away from your sin and looking to Jesus, trusting him, believing in his work, marveling at him. Remember, your eyes are a symbol here. It's your soul that needs to look at him. And really, there are two types of people in the world and there are two types of people in this room. And there's only two. And it's not, we're not separated by any ethnic background or culture. There's only two types of people. And it's those that look at Christ and those that don't. Those that are saved and those that aren't saved. And if you're, not, if you're the person in the room today that hasn't ever looked to Jesus for salvation, the question is, what are you waiting for? He's done all the work. Just, just look at him. Are you satisfied with, with your snake-like sin biting you and, and causing you ultimately to die? Don't, don't perish in that sin. Jesus took the punishment for your sin on the cross, and all you need to do is look to him in faith and be saved. And if you have any questions about salvation, don't leave today without talking to someone. I'll be here after the service I think Wade's going hunting, but somebody will be here after the service. Come talk to us at the Welcome Center. Talk to somebody today about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're the person in the room that has looked to Jesus and you are saved, you might think, well, okay, what's, what's there for me? I've already looked at him. My answer is keep looking at him, right? It doesn't matter if you said a prayer when you're eight like, like I did or if you've been to church every week of this year or if you came to all six Christmas Eve services, right? Keep looking at Jesus. Which leads me to our second takeaway. Look for Jesus in all of Scripture. A great furthering of looking to Jesus is actually looking for Jesus in all of the Bible. There's a missionary named Paul Washer And he says this, I count myself among the old men, I don't, I guess it's, I don't know why it's old men and women, but I count myself among the old men who look for Christ in every line of the Old Testament. If Christ be removed from the Old Testament, if in everything there is not a picture of him, then I'm left with nothing but moral stories. So Jesus is actually doing this. He's telling Nicodemus, someone who would have had the whole uh he would have had whole, all of Numbers memorized. He would have known this story. He's telling him, hey, this story that, that you know and have memorized is actually pointing to me. All of Scripture is actually pointing to me. And if Jesus is doing that with the Old Testament, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we? For those of you that reading your Bible has been a challenge or you leave always feeling dry or empty or, or confused— Maybe it's because you've been reading it looking for yourself instead of looking for Jesus. Maybe you've been looking for how your circumstances fit into Scripture instead of looking for how the gospel fits into all of Scripture. Jesus is our bread of life. He's our daily bread, our manna from heaven, given to us each day that we open our Bibles and we read and look for him. And the irony of Numbers 21 that we read is that people were complaining about the daily bread, right? They were complaining about what God was giving them. They were complaining about the provision from the Lord, about the manna that was actually meant to sustain them and point us to the bread of life, which is Jesus. When you look for Jesus in all of Scripture, you find your daily bread, what you need. So I'll leave you with two uh, a few practical tips for looking for Jesus in Scripture. Because it's all great in theory, but how, how do we do this in reality? Well, I, there, there's a lot of ways, but some of them um, I've got up here. Um, I've got an awesome version of the Bible. It's just the Bible, but the commentary in it, the stuff on the bottom, kind of takes you through. It's called the Gospel Transformation Bible, and this is a great tool um, it is ESV um, translation, but every single chapter essentially has this commentary underneath that explains how how that story, how that uh, scripture fits into the greater story of the Bible, and is really helpful for getting context about Jesus and the gospel. So that's a great tool. Uh, there's other tools out there like that. Um, last year we did a series, I think it was last year, called the Big Story. And it was just about this subject that all of the Bible is telling one big story. And so if you want to go listen to those sermons, they're up online. Uh, The Big Story, and it's I think it was a four-week series, really, really, really great stuff. And parents, uh, I'm a parent, and I'm always looking for good ways of teaching my kid about Jesus and the Bible. And so when you read your Bible with your kids, don't just look for morality, right? that's great, and they need that foundation of what's right and what's wrong, but the Bible is not simply just a rule book, right? It's a story of Jesus, and so maybe a thing to do is every time you read a passage or something, try to ask them like, hey, can you see Jesus in here anywhere? Where does this fit into the gospel or something like that? And a great tool for that uh, for young kids, and honestly, this is great for adults too, like if, even if you don't have kids, this is really a really good uh, resource. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. We we often give these out here, and it's it's stories of the Bible. It's not the Bible, but it's stories from the Bible. And at the end of it, at the end of each story, it tells a little bit about how this points towards Jesus. And so the tagline on here is, every story whispers his name. Really, really good resource for parents and for adults, if you are into sort of that thing too. It's Awesome. So man, I, I don't know about you guys, but I am pretty tired after Christmas week. Amen. I know that you're tired and maybe you still have some family to see. We're going to go see some more family after this and this this is like a weird week in our schedule of getting out of rhythm and getting back into rhythm for the new year and it's just it's craziness. But we made it through 2021 almost. And 2022 is coming up, and maybe this year is the year that you finally start looking to Jesus. It's a great opportunity. New year feels like a fresh start. Look to Jesus, look and live. Lord, thank you so much for letting us gather today for your word, for the gospel that we can look to Jesus. And live, have eternal life. Lord, there aren't literal snakes biting us right now, but Lord, if we're in sin, if we've never trusted you, then there's punishment for us at the end. But if Lord, if we just look to Jesus, we will live. And I pray that everyone in this room, everyone listening online, would look to Jesus and live. And Lord, for those of us that struggle with reading our Bibles and understanding it and where how this Old Testament story or how this thing fits into my life, Lord, I, I just pray that we would look for Jesus and give us eyes to see Jesus in your word and how the whole Bible is telling one big story of the gospel, one big story of your glory and your love for us. Lord, as we go into the new year, Let us trust in Jesus. Let us look to him and nothing else. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.